Welcome to the Four Teachers Podcast. I'm your host, James Meston. Today on the podcast, we're going to be featuring an episode which is part of a fantastic series, all of which will be available on this channel, all to do with STEM, which Catholic Education Essay and EduChange produced last year. Uh, first, just quickly, if you do enjoy these episodes and want to hear more stories about what's happening across Catholic education in SA, I think you'll really enjoy the School Life podcast, all about what's happening in our schools from the students' perspective. I'll put a link to that channel in our show notes. Okay, add over. Here's the episode. From our perspective, we don't feel that it's worthwhile to think about STEM as being science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And, and the reason for that is because if, if we're not careful, what we tend to do is undersell the really important discipline areas of STEM in the work that we're undertaking. What STEM professionals do are the sorts of things we've been encouraging with, that, with children in our care. So the processes and those processes associated with ideas and methods and values that connect together are where we need to be moving. STEM education is undoubtedly a hot topic in education systems worldwide. In this Catholic Education South Australia STEM podcast, we talk to leaders in science, technology, engineering and maths about the value of STEM learning and the future of STEM careers. These are the stories of STEM in South Australia. Professor Thomas Lowry is Centenary Professor at the University of Canberra and the Director of the STEM Education Research Centre, where he leads a team undertaking groundbreaking research in STEM education using innovative technology to assist children's learning. Before moving into the world of research, Tom was a primary school teacher. He taught mathematics education and research method courses at undergraduate and postgraduate students too, and has worked with classroom teachers on curriculum frameworks. Tom's research over the last 20 years has focused on primary-aged students' use of spatial reasoning and visual imagery to solve maths problems, and the role of graphics in maths assessment. More recently, his research has expanded to include students' use of digital tools and dynamic imagery to solve problems, and developing spatial curriculum for primary and secondary classrooms. I'm Maddie Scott-Jones, Chief Operating Officer at Education Changemakers, and we are thrilled to have partnered with Catholic Education South Australia to produce this STEM podcast. Today, I'm excited to speak with Tom about his passion for maths education and the role of STEM learning and digital literacy in classrooms today. Welcome to this Catholic Education South Australia podcast, Tom. Thank you, Maddie, and thank you for um, inviting me. So I've had the privilege in the lead up to this interview of speaking with a number of students. Uh, and when I asked them about their best learning experiences, they said things along these lines. Throughout my journey in high school, a lot of the things we learn are theory, but I'm more so leaning, leaning towards all the practical things that we do. So for example, in year 10, I did robotics. But during that time, the teacher would explain all the theory behind how it works, all the coding and all the syntax and stuff. But it was more interesting to me to actually use that code and then try to incorporate it into the problems and actually go hands-on with it. Same with physics and chemistry. You can really only understand it when you've practically done it, when you see what actually happens. Now, I know a lot of your recent research has focused on the use of digital technologies to support maths education. And I'm just wondering if you can explain some of those digital technologies and if they act to make maths more hands-on and practical. Um, it's a very um, important insight from that um, year 11 student, I must say. And I can, I can feel for um, people like that in the sense that what we've tended to do in the past um, with digital tools is, is provide opportunities for them to do one of two things. The first 
is, is almost like a, a, a tool that becomes like a, a new toy and, and, and all of your learning gets focused or concentrated on that actual artifact itself or um, much worse, we use the technology as a way of um, having children repeat things in a drill and practice way. And so a lot of a lot of games that have been developed are just um, unfortunately mindless in the sense that they just make children practice, practice, practice with a few little cues in it to, to have some fun components around it um, with lots of bells and whistles once you get things right. But in the end, it, it's very much drill orientated. And, and what we advocate is that we have to use these digital affordances in ways that demonstrate learning that can't be done easily elsewhere. That is, if the learning can be done better on the carpet in an early year situation or in group work in a, in a primary school situation or with some really sophisticated problems or, or, or well-designed textbook work in a high school context, it's far better to do that than just put the technology in just for the sake of the technology. So for us, we look at all of these affordances that technology has, and one of the key aspects of our work is, is the use of user-generated content. So that is where the students actually capture content themselves and, and bring that into the digital environment, and then that work is then framed around a really compelling back-end or a really well-designed program that allows the things that they've captured, um, whether they be photos or whether it be syntax or whether it be a whole range of learnings that they've acquired elsewhere, put into the program and developed in such a way that those things can be used to make the technology sing along with the learning. So so from our perspective, it's, it's using the technology in ways that can't be used better or even replicated outside that technological environment. Could you give us some examples of... Um of student-collected data that has then been used really brilliantly in classrooms? Yes, yeah, so, so with our, um, in our reception year work, for example, what, what tends to happen is children go outside and they might collect some, some um, tools or they might collect artefacts, for example, it could be sticks and leaves and they might come back into the classroom and, and on the carpet they might be challenged to make a pattern and the pattern might well be sticks, leaves, sticks, leaves, sticks, leaves. As you know, that's basically replicating an AB pattern. And then after they've done that AB pattern, they might be encouraged to um, redesign that so that they're creating another pattern. So they might go sticks, leaf, leaf, stick, leaf, leaf. So then they're creating a pattern which is essentially an ABB, ABB pattern. That's all well and good. And, and that um, allows the children some affordances to have some sense of where this patterning can be represented in ways that have been collected by them. What we do is take it the next step and, and, and get the children to capture um, a video or, or, or capture still shots of, of work that they've done. And that gets brought back into the technological um, device. And the, the code that we've written allows the children then to explore those patterns in, in, in a whole range of diverse ways. Now, what that does, it allows the resourcing, which is not being able to go out and collect lots and lots of different artifacts and lots of different types of work it allows that resourcing to be used in different ways so that, so that it's building meaning and getting the children to make sense of things from things that they've captured themselves. All of the hard work is done by the, the tool, but, but what is actually happening now is the children are able to learn from one another, watch what one another are doing, and that work importantly gets captured for the teachers, and the teachers can actually then map quite carefully across learning progressions or across student outcomes what the children are able to do and what the children are able to achieve at particular levels of their learning. 
it's a very different way of looking at it than than, than actually um, making the computer be the be all and the end all, the technology be the be all and the end all of what's going on. I'm really interested. This is a, a podcast that's sort of focused on STEM. And as a maths expert, I'm really interested in your definition or your understanding of what STEM education is and what it should and could look like in classrooms. Lucky it's a podcast, so you can't kick me for what I'm about to say. <laughs> but but from, from our perspective, we don't feel that it's worthwhile to think about STEM as being science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And, and the reason for that is because if, if we're not careful, what we tend to do is um, don't um, undersell the really important discipline areas of STEM in the work that we're undertaking. So if we, if we go back to that snapshot of what that insightful year 11 student was saying, essentially it was, I'm, I'm so pleased I'm working with robots, but I'm not getting to work with robots. And, and so what we what we say is that we shouldn't just be getting children to think about having a robot as a STEM thing, but rather the robot should be used in ways that, that possibly capture just one of those really critical components of STEM, and don't and don't let the other three areas water down the really work, important work that's done. Another example of that is um, often in, in classrooms, the, the one of the most popular things to do at present is for children to build a bridge and there's this notion that that's a real authentic stem task so the children for example are given a design task and have to build a bridge it has to hold a certain amount of load what's really interesting about that is that's that's the type of activity that first year engineers do in the in their first or second university course and yet we're bringing that down to primary schools or, or in fact the secondary schools and replicating it time after time after time just because it makes us feel like they're actually doing something in STEM, but the mathematics that they're doing, or the or the engineering they're doing, or the or, or the science that's under being undertaken, hasn't got the depth that they would that they're ready for at that particular time in their lives. Whereas in at a first year university, they can get to the depth with that. So it's far better to have activities and and, and ideas framed around work that's quite critical for what the children can do now, what they're ready for from a discipline perspective, so that the mathematics and the science and and all of the other subject areas can be embedded across that because one of the things maddie that we've um encountered is that people want to play around with an acronym or not so some people use the words um the acronym stem some people say steam because i think the arts are really important others want it to be stream because i think reading needs to come in and i've even seen one example where people have called it stem with an extra m on it because the medical folk Mm -hmm. felt that they were missing out now if we're not careful, STEM ends up becoming every single discipline area that anyone can think of to make an acronym sound good, and we don't want to do that. And so our view is that, that, that STEM is about the practices that you're undertaking, these really important problem-solving skills and these values, these ideas and, 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 and methods that are used um, as, as a STEM professional. So that is... What STEM professionals do are the sorts of things we, we need to be encouraging with that, with children in our care. So the processes and those processes associated with the ideas and methods and values that connect together are where we need to be moving. One of the conversations that I had over and over with students actually was the difference between um, deep learning within a discipline and this sort of integrated learning approach. There was a fair consensus across all of the students that they would rather spend their time developing a deep understanding of particular content or discipline areas 
rather than, um, as, as you said, sort of diluting it or, or watering it down through trying to tackle all of those subject areas at the same time in a sort of STEM, in inverted commas, approach? I do think that having individual subjects and individual learning for each one is the best way to go about it because they do integrate and it is nice to see that. But in order to understand how they integrate, you have to first understand the topic at hand. And that's going to be hard if you're too busy, like swapping from one to another all the time. One of the the things that I used to do really badly when I was a teacher was every four years I used to create a a unit about the Olympics. Um, And I did it every time for four years. And, And what ended up happening was I had the children going outside and they were jumping and they could see how far they would jump. We'd measure their jump and then we'd look at what the world record jump was and we would subtract the world record jump from their jump and then we'd go and do the high jump do the same and what was ended up for the mathematics in particular all we were really doing was giving the children subtraction algorithms creating these um, super units if you like that, that have all this integration together it's really difficult to do and so they need to focus on the unit and, and, and to these students um, credit and point there has to be some really good depth that, that, that goes down into those units so the children can for want of a better phrase sink their teeth into doing some really fun work that actually um, challenges them at their level of readiness Mm. So uh, there's a there's a f- real emphasis on STEM learning at the moment in education, and I think what I'm hearing you say is that there's there's merit in that if we take the definition of STEM as being deep content knowledge with an opportunity to apply it as if you were in the STEM field, as opposed to trying to integrate learning um, into into one sort of block. Would you say that STEM learning therefore is still important in classrooms if we can modify our definition of STEM? Most definitely. And STEM and STEM is critical and those and those important ideas and methods and values need to be taught. And and many folk would argue that they're becoming increasingly important in our, in our technological lives. So um, as you've said, I'm not I'm not prescribing that STEM is not important. It's actually the opposite. I feel it's so important and and, and, and it's critical to to children's well-being and where they're going to be able to position themselves into the future that we have to get it right and if we if we don't get it right now what's going to, going to lose an entire generation where they where the work that they're going to be undertaking won't have that depth and and they won't have that discipline knowledge um, that's needed stem very critical um generic stem uh, a waste of time <laughs> Some students really struggle with learning maths and for others it clicks and one of our students reflected on the fact that it clicked for him quite recently and since then he's been enjoying learning maths. I used to wonder to myself why we were learning certain topics in mathematics and where it could be applied in the real life to myself. I used to think and I'm sure everyone's thought this way at some stage, oh when I go to the grocery store why do I need to know how to find the square root of eight? As I'm getting older and as I'm becoming more invested in um, programming and computer science, I'm finding that I draw upon lots of my mathematic knowledge and everything sort of comes into one. And I think a lot of the times um, we aren't taught clearly where this sort of stuff is applied and how it's applied. We're just taught the mathematics. And that's why a lot of people feel lost in math and they feel like it's not worth it. And a lot of people also then end up travelling down a path where they don't like mathematics and they lose interest in it.
I'm wondering what you think we could do as educators in classrooms to help maths click sooner uh, for young people and whether you think STEM practices can enable or empower that click to happen. Um, so for example, this application of maths knowledge um, in finding solutions that Paris is referring to. It's, it's a good point. Um, one of the things that we're advocating for um, in our pedagogical cycles is that the last phase has to be an application. So, so for, for our young, um, young children, we have this framework called ERA, which is the children need to have experiences. They need to be represented in different ways, often with technology. But then you move off the technology or move move off those representations, and they have to have an application of that. And that that application challenge is really critical. And I think. If we have um, pedagogical cycles or learning cycles that, that, that always, at the end of it, has an application to something else, it allows it allows the children to see that there is some relevance in the work that they're doing. I feel sorry for mathematics teachers because at times we have to have all of these building blocks develop before an application can take place. But if, if we have a small application um, that, that's viewed and, 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 and talked about and discussed, as we go through every unit or every cycle, it's much more likely that children are going to be able to see those connections. So I think we've, we, we need to think about that application component really importantly um, because not all children, unfortunately, come to that realisation as, as what this young, insightful person did where, where they actually can see those applications before they leave school, which is fantastic. So that answering that question in maths classrooms, why are we learning this, is actually really important. Very important, and and, and we, what we should never say is uh, because you'll understand in two years' time, you'll need this, otherwise you're going to be terrible at X, Y, or Z. Because what tends to happen um, from, a, from a mass perspective is if you lose confidence, um, it's hard to get it back. And so that, that whole notion of effect is really critical. And, and those touch points of being able to see where this could be used in, in different environments is really critical. And so this is where our idea of STEM practices um fits well too because not everybody is going to be an engineer or a rocket scientist or or an actuary or, or somebody who's going to be working for google and if we're not careful we're putting stem up as this highly specialized privileged group of people um and and 90 percent of us can never attain that type of work and what we need to be able to show is that if you're a farmer you're actually undertaking a whole range of stem practices when you're making really important decisions about what types of pesticides or herbicides that you might be actually using um, in, or, in order to make sure that your that, that your soil still remains productive or whether you're somebody who's an architect who, who misses out on STEM who is actually making some really insightful um, town planning decisions about where particular buildings need to be and how that entire community can work together um, with, a, with a new rail system. Those people who are making those decisions are using some of those ideas and methods and values that are really critical to a STEM professional. So if we broaden out and, and, and have a, a much broader but still um, um, focused definition of what STEM is, many more children will be able to get to that application stage and see that it could be relevant for them. We don't want this to be some type of privileged, locked down um, way of thinking about, about the world and what's important and what's not important because a whole range of professions and a whole range of skills are going to be critical for all of our well-being going forward. 
Do you think there's ever an argument for learning maths uh, for the sake of training your brain to think in a different way, in the same way that you might learn a language and it's a completely different type of learning to, say, learning in history or in English? Maths sometimes offers us that mental agility with problem solving. Is that a good argument for learning maths as well? It is a good argument for learning mathematics. And, and in fact, what um, some re- re- recent research has found was that that, that foundational skills in mathematics actually um, are one of the strongest predictors of well-being late in life. And so, and of course, in, in disadvantaged communities, that's even more the case. That is, if you've got if you've got these foundational mathematics skills, it's actually more important than what it is to actually to be able to read and write. As amazing as that sounds, so, so, um, so, so this this idea about having these foundational skills is really critical, and we ha- and we have to um, advocate for mathematics. And, and unfortunately, what tends to happen is it's, it's perceived as being a hard subject, it's a privileged subject. It's perceived as being one that if your parents weren't good at, what chance have you got? And and so. All of these um, different ideas and methods um, need to be explained in different ways. I often find it mind-boggling when um, I'm, I'm, I'm watching a builder in their daily practice, and they're saying, they're saying, "Oh, when I was at school, I was terrible at maths." And then some of the really informed mathematical decisions they're making in the next ten minutes, including routinely working with Pythagoras' theorem, um, just amazes me. And then I point that out to them, and then they say, oh, that's not real math. So this is this is the math you'll learn after school, or this is the math you'll learn on the job. And that's a pity. So that those, those on-the-job mathematical ideas and uh, are those true applications. So so what a builder, a builder has to do well is have good mathematical skills, for example. Mm. Uh, as someone who's sort of very aware, I'm sure, of cutting-edge research, I'm wondering what are the emerging trends in mathematics and applications of mathematics that are exciting you at the moment? One of the things that's exciting me the most is um, the, the capacity to be able to work with learning scientists and, and, and cognitive and developmental psychologists on and the way in which children begin to understand um, really important STEM foundations. So for, so for me, the, the most exciting work is, is looking at a range of um, cognitive areas and a range of discipline areas working together on, on really challenging tasks and doing research on that. So one, one example of that is, is work that um, our team and, 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 and colleagues here in the US are undertaking which is looking particularly at this um, way of thinking, which is called spatial reasoning, and seeing how improvement in spatial reasoning actually leads to improvement in mathematics. And, and for us, it's, it's incredibly exciting. What we've been able to do is replicate over a series of studies now that if we can actually um, get children really strong with these spatial skills, then mathematics is improving without giving them any additional mathematics instruction. That is, we're not providing a mathematics program to improve their mathematics, we're providing the spatial reasoning programs and their mathematics um, performance is actually increasing quite rapidly as a result. So for us, that's the almost like the, the hidden gem, if you like, or the, or, the, or the key that's unlocking a whole lot of these um, mathematical conversations in children and actually giving them the confidence because they don't know if they're not good at spatial reasoning, but children often don't know that they're good at mathematics because they've been told that. And so being able to foster this, this love for this way of thinking spatially is really advancing um, 
their performance and we think is, a, is cutting edge work in the field and across disciplines, I must say. Uh, Tom, there are lots of um, students out there who are keen to kick off a career in STEM and they see that as a really viable option for them after school. If you could go back and give young Tom some advice, or younger Tom, I should say, some <laughs> advice as you yeah, kicked off... A lot younger. <laughs> um, as, as you kicked off your own career in STEM, what advice would you would you give them? I think um, the advice I, I would give them is to is to look more broadly than than mathematics being discipline in itself. And I I, I like the discipline, but I didn't love the discipline. And I think I would have loved the discipline if I if I'd understood um, in, in more insightful ways. Its applications um, to, to to the world and how and how those applications are really important, not just for not just for solving the most critical tasks on earth, um, but also for for really really valuable ideas for people's well being. And if I understood better how important mathematics was for for someone's well being, I think it would have allowed me to um, shape my work and, and 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 explore things in a faster manner than what I actually have. It's taken me a little while to realise some of those things and I, I wish I had known that a little bit earlier in life. Tom, thank you so much for joining us for this Catholic Education South Australia podcast. Thank you, Maddie, for, this, for your time as well. Thanks for listening to another podcast from Catholic Education South Australia. For more information about our organisation, check out our website at cesa.catholic.edu.au.